Amen. Thanks for coming. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, James chapter 1, which is on page 1011 of the Pew Bibles, but James chapter 1, or look it up on your phone, James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then verse 12, James chapter 1. says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of it, the help of it, and the hope of it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just remove distractions from us this morning and teach us from your word. Help us to respond to trials in the way that you would have us, and help us to grow. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you remember when uh, Garmin's and TomToms were like the latest thing in the world? You know, that was the coolest thing in the world. You have a Garmin or a TomTom. It was the navigation system for your uh, car. Um, it was the greatest thing in the world uh, because you didn't have to look at maps anymore. The world had totally changed. And so you were, uh, so I got a Garmin uh, and I had, and I, was, had to go, someone called me to meet them someplace, um, and so I punched in the address, and I went to, to find the place. Um, I had the directions all the way, and then somehow this was a new subdivision, and my Garmin had not updated yet, and so all of a sudden I had this blight screen. I had no idea where I was. Uh, I had everything I thought I needed. I had, thought I had the Garmin, I thought I had uh, the directions, I thought I had everything, uh, but then I'm totally lost in the subdivision, overwhelmed, trying to figure out what's going on, and all I could think of, what is going on? That's all, that is all I could think of. What, what is going on? Why is this not working for me? Uh, this is supposed to be high-tech technology. What's going on? Why won't this work? What's happening? It, it was overwhelming. The reason why we're not doing a parable this morning is because that, as the pastor of Cornerstone, for many of you, has been what I've heard f- for many months. Many of you and many have said, it seems like things are just overwhelming. Uh, I, I, I can't figure this out. I, I feel like I should have the answers to these things. I got God, I got the Bible, I got Scripture, but why, why is it so hard? I can't figure things out. It, things are very overwhelming. It just seems like work stuff's overwhelming. Family things are overwhelming. Health things are overwhelming. Uh, stress is overwhelming. There's just a huge overwhelmingness in all these things. And so what's, why is that? What's going on? And what are we going to do if we feel or you feel that way, there's a couple options. 
if you feel a sense of overwhelmness, the most natural option is for you to start slinking back, to, to, to pull back, to, to just want to go and, and cover up. You don't want to share. You don't want to be with others. You, you, you can't figure it out yourself. It's the, there's, a, there's a natural sense just to cover, and people will praise you for that. And if, you, if you struggle, but you perform, no one's going to say to you, what's wrong? No one's going to question you. They're just going to say, wow, just keep it up, man. Look at that guy. Look at that woman. Just She's going. I, she's got some stuff going, but she's just plowing through. That's covering. And people will praise you for that, and you can be praised for that. Or the second option, which I think James would have us do, is go through trials and go through those struggles, maybe feel the sense of overwhelming but keep coming, but keep coming limping. Where you are limping, but you're coming. You keep coming to God. You keep coming to each other, but you, you are limping. That's what James would say, because that's the situation that he was in, and that's the situation that these people were in. The book of James was written to Christians who were followers of God, who were in an overwhelming situation. They were dispersed to the 12 tribes who were dispersed all over. There was great financial persecution. There was great uh, social persecution. And these followers of God, that the people of God, were dispersed. And James writes to them, and he writes to them a very practical book, a very practical realities. And he's, it's the, the book of James is about a faith that works in the realities of life. A faith that works in the realities of the overwhelmingness of life when things are hard, when things are frustrating. That's what the book of James is written for. It wasn't written to a bunch of uh, calm, have-it-together people. It was written to a bunch of people who were overwhelmed with life. And he gives them imperatives. It's a sermon. That's why he packs it really fast and he just keeps going because they don't have time to dig into a lot of things. They're, they're overwhelmed. But he tells them some commands. And so it's written for believers, written for, for you to have a faith that works in the realities of life when you're overwhelmed. And it's a faith that works. And so the first thing I would like you to do is just to consider James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James was the half-brother of Jesus, who, who grew up with Jesus, and he didn't believe who Jesus was. I mean, he was his, he was his brother, and in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus was with his immediate family, and they didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was. But somewhere along the line, as James, his half-brother, is watching Jesus grow up, he, he, he believes. And in 1 Corinthians 15, when it shares the gospel, Jesus says that Jesus rose from the dead. He went and saw the disciples, and he went and saw James after his resurrection. And James became the leader in the church in Jerusalem, but he was a brother of Jesus who watched Jesus grow up in a human way and didn't get him. But then something changed, and then he became a follower of Jesus. And then when he saw the dispersion, saw the troubles, this is what he says. He says, James, a servant of God, or James, really the word is a slave of God. This brother that he grew up with, 
that he that he knew that he he says he 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 gave gave his life completely over to say that's the son of god that's that's god my my half brother was god and i believed it and it's true and so when he wrote the book of james and when you read the book of james if you feel overwhelmed and you're struggling consider james and realize that this is the word of god to you this is God speaking to you and commit to it as the revealed word of God. If you're overwhelmed, you're struggling, and then you come to the Bible and like, I'm not sure the Bible is really the Bible. Is this really God's word? You're going to stay overwhelmed. But as a Christian, we come to the word of God as it is the word of God speaking to you. It's, it's the word of God. So come and then put your life under the word of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was in prison during World War II, he uses a phrase constantly called living under the word, which means that's what we're called to do. We live under the word of God. We don't read the word of God and say, well, I don't really like that part of it. I really don't understand that, so I'm not going to believe that. That's not what we do. We submit ourselves under the word of God and say, I, I live. And so what the word of God says to me, I've got to adjust to. I don't need to adjust the word of God to what I say. So we have to consider Job. Have you committed to reading the word of God in such a way that you said, this is God's word to me? This is truth, if I understand all of it or not. It's the revealed word of God, and you're a servant of it. But then consider this. He says this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this, count it all joy. My brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, we need to consider that life is filled with trials. Life is, is just filled with trials. He says, count it all joy when you, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds. I mean, this is, this is what we go through. And they're multiple. They don't, there are many trials. I mean, there's, there's trials when you're a young kid in junior high and high school. There's a trials when you're in your 20s. There's trials when you're in your 30s and you're trying to raise kids. There's trials when you're 40s and you're trying to figure out life, which is my situation when, when seasons are changing. I mean, I have a son right now underwater in a submarine for the next six months. It, 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 it changes some of the ways you, you think. It's, there's trials in your 50s, there's trials in your 60s, there's trials in your 80s, and they're varied and they're multiple. And they change constantly, the Bible says, and they're mixed with different seasons of your life, but they're sudden. He says, count it all joys when you meet trials of various kinds. And the word meet is the same word that was used in Luke 10 that we looked at last week, the Good Samaritan, when the, Jesus told the story and the Israelites walking, and he was met by robbers who attacked him unexpectedly. This is what trials do. They come to us unexpectedly, don't they? We're not, we're not, we meet them. We don't want to meet them. But they come in multiple ways. You, you get one fire put out, and all of a sudden, you meet another one. And then you get that fire down, and then there's another fire, and another fire, and another trial. And you think, oh, if I just get this past this season of my life, we'll have it figured out. And then you get to this season of your life, and if I just get past this season, I'll have it figured out. That's not what the Bible says. Life is filled with trials, and, and often they come sudden, and no one's immune to them. Job 5.7 says, But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. This is just life in a broken world. They just Trials come. And they, and they come, James says, count it all joy. 
when you meet trials of various kinds, because they come sometimes for corrective reasons and sometimes for constructive reasons. But they come. So when you're, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's, whatever's meeting you or has met you or keeps meeting you and you can't shake it and you don't want to like it, the Bible says that trials just come to us. It's, it's part of living in this world when you meet trials of various kinds. But when you meet them, what are we going to do with them? Because you say, the reason I feel so overwhelmed right now is because it's so complex. I can't, I can't figure out which way to go. I, I do this, and it, 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 I'm doing the right thing, and it, it still doesn't seem to be changing. Then more things come, and more things come. So how can it be true that God is in control when all these situations I'm going through seem so complex and difficult? James, the brother of Jesus, said he's James, a servant of God. He was the slave of God. So we got to consider and not be shocked when difficulties arise. You don't have to like them, but they're going to come. They're going to come in multiple ways. They're going to come in mixed ways, and they're going to come constantly unexpected. But we got to consider God's control. Job said in Job 2.10, shall we receive good from the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? Ruth, when she was going through her difficulty in Naomi, after Naomi lost her husband, she lost her sons, and she says in Ruth 1, 20 and 21, it says, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. How can that be? I thought God loves me. I thought because God loves me that it's always going to go well for me. This is what, this is what I, I thought the Bible was saying. But all over the Bible, we have to consider that God is sovereignly in control. God is sovereign over all. And when you're overwhelmed or when you're struggling, be very careful not to dethrone God by deluding him to something that you can understand. Don't, don't say, well, God wouldn't allow me to go through this. Don't say God wouldn't want to let this hurt me this way. That's not what the Bible says anywhere. Over and over and over again in Scripture, it says God, he lets the rain fall on the just and on the unjust. He brings calamity. God is sovereign over everything. And if you don't let him be sovereign over everything, he is sovereign over nothing. Because God, if God is not sovereign over suffering, then God's not God. If God's not sovereign over your trials, then God's not God. Your trial's God. Your suffering is God. Be, be careful not to dethrone God when you start thinking about your problems and turn God into, turn it around and turn God into your dog. Now, you, you, you can treat your dog terribly. You can be a jerk to your dog. You can smack your dog around. Your dog will still stand at the door and greet you when you come back in. You can be nice to your dog, and your dog can still, still love you. You can go through tragedies. And you know what? Your, your dog is going to come sit on your lap, and he'll comfort you, and he'll encourage you. 
but he can't help you. That's not the kind of God that we have. We have a God who's greater than our dog, who's sovereign over everything, and he's in control even when it hurts you. He's sovereign over that. And so consider God's control. And James says he's, he's called, these are imperatives. He's telling, he says, count it all joy. That's a command. He's saying, consider God's control. And what God's calling us to is a long obedience in the same direction. And sometimes a long, hard obedience in the same direction. Then he says, consider it all joy. How? How How can we do that? How can we consider it all joy when you think of all the stuff that you're dealing with right now in your situations? Varied and multiple. That if I was to go around the room and say, let's just start sharing something that's bothering you, what you've been going through, we would be here all afternoon as people started to relay them, and they would be so mixed, so different, so complicated, so hard, so sad, so difficult. But that's life. And God is in control. And so then he says to us, consider it all joy. How do we do that? Well, the context first is key. James is not commanding us about how we should feel about him. It's not about considering it in joy as a feeling. He, he, he's not saying consider this joy as a feeling. It's, he's saying consider it joy. It's, it's really the way you think. Count it all joy in the way that you think because of things that you know. And he says the things that you know is that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In Lamentations chapter 3, which is the book of Lamentations, is just a long lament of Jeremiah's. And, and he's, he's sitting down and he saw a destructed city of Jerusalem. He saw a wasted people of God in difficulties. And he's trying to figure it out. And if you read Lamentations, it's, it's, it's slow struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle of even feeling abandoned. He says in Lamentations 3, my soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. He's, he's, he's overwhelmed. Then he does something in verse 21. He says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Nothing changed for Jeremiah. He's looking at a completely wiped out city. He's looking at a completely wiped out situation. There's not any hope that things are going to turn around anytime soon. No Calvary's coming. No money's coming. It's desolate. Where some of you feel with your situations. And then God says, count it all joy. How do you do that? You, 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 you turn it around and say, it's not based off your feelings. It's based off what you know. And Jeremiah said, in the midst of all this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And he says what he knows about the steadfast love of God and the promises of God. Joy is a settled contentment, not with your circumstances, but with God. I mean, you have settled it with God. You would save your life as a Christian, I don't deserve anything from God. 
but he gave his life for me and I received it. So I have a savior in Jesus Christ and God is sovereign. Nothing is wasted. He's sovereign over everything and he's the source of help. And you just surrender to that. You keep surrendering to that for the long obedience in the same direction daily over and over. And you ask God for wisdom, he says. He says, if any of you ask, at lack wisdom about this, ask God who gives generously and will give it above reproach, but it's a settled asking. Don't ask in doubt, wavering. He says, he asks in faith. So in our situations, we ask for strength to match the challenge that God has put us in because we know some things. There's things that we, that we know. Andrew Murray, who was a missionary in South Africa about 100 years ago, was going through a very difficult time. All kinds of mixed challenges, all kinds of difficulties. And he wrote in his journal what he called to mind. He wasn't happy about anything. He wasn't thrilled about anything. Anything he tried to do, it would just go worse. But he called himself to mind, and he counted it joy, and he wrote this. He said, this, this, is, this is what I will know, that I am here by God's appointment. I am in his keeping. I am in his training program, and I am in this program as long as he wants me in it. And he just kept trusting God. Nothing changed positively for him. So he counted it as joy. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset of an attitude that says, I don't know what's going on. I don't like what's going on. I don't understand what's going on. It's not turning around anytime soon, but I know my God, and I will trust in God. And so then we need to consider, what's God doing in all of this? He says, count it all joy when you meet various trials, for you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness having its full effect that it may make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, you got to consider what's, what's God doing. And what he's doing is he's refining you and he's developing in you perseverance and he's developing in you endurance and he's developing in you fortitude. He's refining you as like fire so you'll come out as gold, the Bible says. He wants to remove things in you that, that aren't putting you where Christ, where you should be. And Romans chapter 5 says that this brings hope. This refining process brings hope and it brings maturity and it brings fruit in your life. This is what God's trying to do in your life. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to understand it right now. It hurts. It's hard. It's long. You can pull away or you can press in and say, God, this, this is what I know. This, this, this hard thing is a test. It's a trial that's going to produce in me fruit and make me persevere. It's going to make me have fortitude in my faith. It's going to mature me so I will become more like Jesus Christ. It'll, be, it'll make me more like you. And that's gold for me. That's, that's gold. But in the process, it's going to take 
some time. Eighteen years ago, you know what, maybe 15 years ago, I guess, Jared went to preschool and he came back with this little cup with a bunch of mud in it. And he told us to put it in the window. So we put it in the window and Teresa would water it. We'd all protect it. If it got bumped, we'd panic. And eventually this little green thing came out of it. And eventually it got bigger, so we had to take it outside. And eventually we planted it into the ground. And eventually I would go out there and I would wrap it with strings. And I would put a fence around it. And I'd bear, by, by, by miracle grow. I, I hate gardening, but I love this tree. And I would, I would buy miracle grow and I'd pour extra miracle grow when Teresa wasn't looking. And I was like, I gotta see this thing growing. I'd get on my hands and knees and I'd pound in these fertilizers, uh, year after year. When we moved a couple of years ago, the hardest part was leaving Jared's tree. I don't know why I love that tree. So I snuck that picture this week <laughs> at our old house. That tree has gone through years of cold winters, years of three boys playing football with their dad in the front yard, years of struggle. And then this year, after all these years, I drove past it, and there's apples on it. There's fruit on that thing. Guess who doesn't get to enjoy the fruit? <laughs> but that apple tree has fruit. You know how long that took? Almost 15 years of hard struggle in the sun, in the cold, in the winter, getting broken, having little kids climb on it, pieces falling. Is it going to survive? And it stood the test of time. It persevered. It had fortitude. It had endurance. And it bears much fruit. I'm going to stop by the house and I'm going to ask for an apple this week. This is what God's trying to do in our lives. This is what he's trying to do in your life is to produce much fruit. Fruit, yesterday I stood in a field of a bunch of cemetery stones with hundreds of people listening to bagpipes playing Amazing Grace, wondering if even half of them knew what it was saying. And I think we often forget the lines of Amazing Grace that says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. That's our hope. So that, that, that's what we need to consider. That as we go through these trials, God's producing in you fruit that you may not get the taste all of the fruit, but somebody will. That, that's what we got to hold on to. So I would encourage you to hope in God and to steady yourself 
and through his word. And steady yourself with the help of other Christians. I did Luke Campbell's wedding last Saturday night on a boat. And all the people, some of them were, were, were prepared in advance. They'd steadied themselves. They, they had the, the stuff in the back of their ears to keep them from getting sick. I'm up there doing the wedding, and, and, and the, the boat turns in an unexpected moment. And I had to lean forward on Luke and Natalie to hold me up. Had they not done that, I would have fall, fallen all over the place. This is what we do as Christians. We, we steady ourselves in God's word, and we steady yourself with the help of other Christians. We'd be very, I know I'm going a little bit long, but I just want to encourage you, Cornerstone, let people, let people steady themselves on you. And don't move so fast past it by giving people advice or turning off the conversation. It's hard to live in life. So settle in with them. Don't, you don't have to quote 16 verses to somebody who's suffering. Just sit with them. Don't pull away from them. Just speak to them. Rest with them. Steady yourself with other people's help. And then share in the confidence and the comfort of God. God's bringing you through whatever you're bringing through so that you can give comfort to somebody else with the same comfort that God has comforted you. That's not going to happen for some of you in a month. That's not going to happen for some of you in five years. That might not happen for some of you for ten years. It'll be a long haul. But the 11th year, somebody else might need what you need. And you'll be used by God. And God will grow you to be more like Him. Someone said perhaps the greatest good that suffering can work for a believer is to increase their capacity of his soul for God. The greater our need, the greater will be our capacity. The greater our capacity, the greater will be our experience of God. Can any price be too much for such an eternal good that you could have a greater capacity for God? God didn't think so. He, he took on human flesh and the person of Jesus Christ to rescue us by his life, death, and resurrection. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief so that he could comfort us. He endured suffering for us so that we could become like him. So he could give us help and he could give us hope. So if you feel overwhelmed, consider it joy that God's testing you and he's making you like gold. Don't, don't walk away from it. Don't rush through it. Don't rush other people through it. But rest in God, hope in God, and rely on the fact that Jesus Christ has come for us and has given us great grace and great hope. Let's pray.